Hi, this is Graham Class, producer of the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. You may remember me from the Dad Jokes Explained episodes. Anyway, you may be wondering why this episode has popped up on your feed. I'm hosting a new podcast called Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, which in its debut season will be exploring the expanding role of AI in our society. I think you'll find it interesting. Just in case you don't, I'll leave you with this dad joke about AI. Did you hear about the new AI company run by goats? It was using bleating edge technology. Hello, my name is Graham Class, and I'm your host for this season of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. While Intel is at the forefront of so many cutting-edge technologies, this season is all about artificial intelligence, and that's why I've been tapped as your host. Having a background in tech as a software engineer, I was always interested in merging the advances of artificial intelligence with my love for media. This culminated in one of my other projects, Daily Dad Jokes, an AI-powered podcast churning out jokes and humor for listeners worldwide. But artificial intelligence can do a lot more than help whip up a corny joke. This technology has been revolutionizing the way we engage with the world with innovations across healthcare, agriculture, business, and even the public sector. Another way that artificial intelligence is changing the world is through philosophy. The term ethical AI is a framework on how to use AI. What systems should be in place to govern its use with business and consumers? In this episode, we'll dive into the ethics of artificial intelligence with one of the pioneers in the field. Joining me for today's conversation is Intel's Ria Chervu. Ria can perhaps be described as the moral compass of the company's AI. As an AI software architect and generative AI evangelist, she is charged with finding responsible, trustworthy solutions for Intel's Internet of Things engineering group. Her role exists at the intersection of hardware and software, product design and effective consumer use. Having studied extensively at Harvard in the subjects of computer science and data science, her domains of expertise are solutions for security and privacy in machine learning, fairness, explainable and responsible AI systems, uncertain AI, reinforcement learning, and computational models of intelligence. She is a reoccurring keynote speaker on issues in data science and responsible AI. We are very excited to have her on the podcast to share her expertise on Intel's ethics in their AI development. Ria, welcome to the show. Thank you, Graham. It's awesome to be here. I've had a look at your bio and would like to know, how did you come about to join the Intel family? Sure. I joined Intel in 2018 when I was 14 years old as an intern. Wow. I had, yes, I had an amazing mentor <laughs> who went through all of the legal pages and the review needed to get me <laughs> to that position. So initially I interviewed with three teams on three different areas in the AI space. One of them was around AI and healthcare, very theoretical and mathematical implications and pathfinding. The other two were on software development and profiling and the next was on deep learning optimization specifically. So I did have the opportunity to pick the one on optimization for deep learning for hardware. And that is how I started off my journey at Intel and got introduced to it. The interplay between hardware and software is something that always drew my attention. So when I was able to work on that as part of my first role as an intern, I was really excited. Okay, great. So now uh, I understand that you're a software AI architect. Can you just give an overview of what that entails? 
As a software architect today, I have a couple of roles and responsibilities corresponding to the latest and greatest, which is very exciting to me in my day to day. The first is generative AI. So looking at and taking into account the different software optimizations that we're planning for generative AI, how the workloads are shaping, changes in the algorithms over time, as well as also the associated mechanisms that we see that are in touch with them. As an evangelist, I also get to work on top of my software architect role as a marketer and an advocate for these technologies. So creating very short demos and tutorials for users to quickly grasp what exactly is going on with this model. How can I use it in my day-to-day? How can I port it to my use case? So a lot of the focus today for me is on generative AI. I also look into ethical and explainable AI tools and technologies as part of my pathfinding. Yeah, I've been using generative AI apps to do research, creating podcast artwork, and experimented with creating music. So this leads me into asking you, what's your definition of artificial intelligence and maybe some examples of where we're seeing it as a central topic in the tech world? The way that I like to define it is something I I copied over actually from our recent regulations on AI around how AI models are agents or systems that are capable of consuming and producing data in an environment and also taking actions that can in turn influence our decisions. There's a lot of use cases for them everywhere, healthcare, retail, etc. Yeah, when I talked with uh, people even in the tech world, there's a lot of confusion around, okay, you've got algorithms, you've got AI, you've got machine learning. Perhaps if you could start with Maybe some of the difference between algorithms versus, say, AI. What do you see as the difference between the two? Typical algorithms, I'd say, are based off of certain schemes that we're already aware of. With machine learning, you have these new paradigms that are coming in and completely spinning the narrative. Things like continual learning, very large models, different types of state machines altogether, depending on the application you integrate it into. Okay. So I, I would say there there are some fundamental differences that are coming in between algorithms and machine learning models on that front when it comes to use cases, application, and, and of course, implementation as well. And where I see the power is sort of combining the traditional sort of if-then-else algorithms uh, yes. with AI. And I'm just wondering if you've seen any sort of practical applications merging of all these techniques. Yes. And I'm very interested in composite AI. It's something that I'm getting to work on a lot more in my day to day and something that we're actually doing a demo for at Intel Innovation, where we are chaining multiple large language models together. The way I see composite AI is being able to tie together multiple models as part of a interface or an application. With chaining models, I see it as a subset of composite AI where you have models that are linked to each other and have dependencies on their inputs and outputs. It can be sometimes a nightmare to get the dependencies (laughs) all together because you have cascading models, one after the other, dependent on each's output. But it is possible and it does give you a lot of applications and opens up the possibilities where you can get to a very nice user interface that users can interact with, developers can build upon, businesses and other communities can just leverage and adopt. That is giving you a lot of capabilities at once with ease of deployment. Oh, that's good. Now, turning to the ethics side of it, which you've done quite a lot of thinking and work in, how would you define ethics in AI? With ethical AI, the definition that I like to adopt is socio-technical development of AI systems. And that involves societal and technical aspects, but really focusing on the implications and the intentions with these algorithms. In terms of when you're talking with your peers and colleagues, has there been a lot of discussion and talk about trying to have a uniform ethical framework that 
at least gives a common language into, you know, when you're discussing these sorts of things related to ethics and AI? There are common frameworks that are in place. Most of them are centered around implications and intention and how we structure that around certain technologies. Right now, it's very popular for applications to generative AI, where we see these frameworks being put into place around, let's look at the inputs, the outputs, and then the overall model or framework. And this may seem simplistic, but it really is boiled down to these very simple elements. Similarly, for other AI domains that are outside of generative AI, like object detection, it's very much focused on what is the particular use case. For example, is it something that is of high risk, like healthcare applications or surveillance? Or is it something that's a bit lower risk, like content creation? And then seeing how exactly our user experience and our development of those models is echoing ethical AI principles. So I would say, like to summarize, there are different frameworks and summaries that we apply. But of course, the templates need to be flexible when we're talking about ethical AI for these new AI models. How do you go about ensuring that your staff and your engineers and your product managers actually embed that ethical framework into its AI development. Sure. It, it's such a challenging problem even to describe <laughs> as well. Um, as you're mentioning it, you know, there's yeah. so many different things that you can actively do, right? Like, as you mentioned, policies, assessments, etc. So at Intel, we take a multiple approaches towards it. The one thing that we very heavily emphasize on is internal governance. And um, Lama Nachman, who's my mentor and also leading the responsible AI efforts at Intel, very neatly and concisely describes them as guardrails that we have internally in place. And these are really guidelines that are designed to help our developers, engineers, managers, and you know our communities and marketers, etc. understand the implications, again, of what exactly are we producing in terms of the content? What are some technical solutions that we can instill mid-pipeline or early on before starting the effort when we're getting started with AI development efforts? And I would say that that's the core process that we focus on. We're also very heavily invested in technology development, whether that's through the deepfake detection work that LK Demir and team are taking on, um, explainable AI tools, etc. So really trying to approach this from a governance perspective internally, from a tooling perspective, what we can provide to the developer community and our customers and to partners. And from a third perspective, regulations. How do we influence the industry at large and help contribute to discussions? That's really good. And you mentioned the work of Lama Nachman, and we're actually going to be talking with her in an upcoming episode this season. So I'm looking forward to asking her about this as well. But I think you've said the key phrase, deep fake, so I might yes. switch the, to that <laughs> side of things. So in terms of the society and, and culture in general, um, there are some people that are hesitant about AI, particularly around AI limiting jobs. You've got deep fakes. I've actually created a clone of my voice. What do you try and do to reassure people who have hesitations? I'm definitely not. I would say not directly enthusiastic about technologies that are allowing for passing off as another person for, you know, copying and pasting, essentially. In certain cases, we see the development of those technologies for a certain use case, and then it does start to stray away from that into some of these newer kind of applications that are scary, as you shared. So when it comes to reassuring individuals, my family, my community as well, and the industry at large, I think that it's definitely a problem to see in a straightforward way, honestly. Without the hype surrounding it, there is a levity associated with the disadvantages of the technology that we do need to consider. We also do see the benefits of them for different things, whether that's improving your ease of using it, just being able to communicate with others. From my perspective, what I try to do in my space is to look at an honest assessment of the technology, which is very common in the ethical AI domain, and to see what exactly is it really contributing to 
the problem statement. And if it isn't contributing to it, then do we need it? And in terms of Intel's, I guess, method uh, or communication with the society and people at large, are they working on things to help people uh, feel a little bit more comfortable about this new world we're moving into? Yes. And we we tackle it from a couple of different fronts. We've got um, some amazing teams working on different parts of the puzzle. One of them is democratization, where one of the challenging things about AI from an ethical AI perspective, but also in general from a development perspective is being able to give communities access to the technology so that they can test it and validate it. I've been speaking about ethical AI for about two years now or so. Last year, we really didn't have the same amount of tools and techniques that we have this year and also the popularity of testing and validating AI (laughs) systems, right? (laughs) We always understand, and I think many companies and organizations understand, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution for ethical AI. Um, You know, many companies and organizations are trying to do their best. So I would say that, again, that that pushback, that community that we're trying to create around ethical AI is critical for us going forward to be able to better build solutions. Has there been any case studies within Intel that you could share that maybe there was a real challenging ethical conundrum uh, for producing AI software? And you know how, how was it resolved? How did you work through it? Generative AI is definitely a very big one. So we're always okay. actively cautious about the types of implications of our technology, whether or not we can incorporate disclaimers or clarify on the intent of it as well. And um, Graham, one of my favorite parts of ethical AI from a technical perspective in terms of solutions is something called model cards. Model cards clarify a very simple theme around ethical AI, which is, you know, figure out what exactly is the intention, the core assumptions and the development that went behind a model and what you're going to use it for as part of deployment. And I think that for me personally, I see that that theme is conveyed as part of our efforts in generative AI. There's a lot of challenging things out there when it comes to image generation, copyright, etc., or even, you know, object detection related technologies. For retail, if you have solutions like intelligent queue management or automated self-checkout, it makes sense. But, you know, how do we keep it from proliferating otherwise? And what sort of work is going on with inclusive AI? Diversity of stakeholders is critical for the AI models that we're building today, whether that's detection of skin, agnostic of skin tone, or being able to adapt to different folks with different accents. So at Intel, and again, across the industry, I think a lot of the efforts are really about making sure we have the right people on board, the right experts with different backgrounds who are able to contribute to the technologies. One thing when I was started um, looking into machine learning, very quickly I got a sense of, you know, being a traditional engineer, you kind of go, okay, input, output, and you kind of know what's in the in the black box <laughs> to transform it. When I started working with AI and some machine learning code, I couldn't get a sense of that one-to-one kind of mapping of what the output is to input. And that comes to the to transparency and the explainability of AI algorithms. What are you seeing and also what is Intel seeing around trying to make that understandable to the end users? It's a really interesting question because <laughs> explainability is one of the, the first topics that we think about when we think about responsible AI. And I agree, the black box metaphor has been used so many times yeah. um, it, because it's true. But <laughs> the key idea is about demystifying what exactly is going on within the model, whether that is the internal representation, again, the data that it's pulling from, how the data is being leveraged, feature importance, etc. There's also an added consideration to explainability around surfacing that to an end user for them to understand why the model made a decision. 
I would say with Intel, we're approaching it in a couple of different ways. And I'm just, I'm very excited to see how again, different experts approach our problems. We have a dedicated suite of technologies for explainability. I led a team that was developing one of these for Intel OpenVINO, where again, you're getting that internal representation analysis, saliency maps, and other technologies for explainability. We also incorporate transparency and explainability into our algorithms. So whether that's being able to visualize what's going on, again, saliency maps, or, you know, really good user experience, user interface to figure out why am I being surfaced this particular prediction or decision from a model. I'd say that's a couple of the ways that we are integrating and thinking about explainability at Intel. You're listening to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. One of the, obviously, the big things is around the privacy and security of data. Perhaps you could outline some of the new techniques and new initiatives out in the industry to try and use the power of AI, but still protect companies' information and, and data. I would say there's mechanisms like differential privacy and many others, homomorphic encryption. These were incredibly popular two years ago. You kind of don't hear them a lot now. So again, the hype is, it, it depends on the technology of the day. But yes, localization is a key thing. It's actually something I have the opportunity to look at now as part of my role around hybrid AI, edge versus cloud, edge and cloud. So there's a number of different parameters and assumptions that we can start to make at the edge around localization, privacy of data, not necessarily having to communicate it back to the cloud that are changing the way that we think about data privacy and security for AI models. Federated learning is another paradigm like this. So to put it shortly, I'd say there are mechanisms that are coming up in place, but there is still more needed emphasis on security and privacy, more development for technologies, etc. Okay. So just to extend that just a little bit more. So say if you're meeting with an executive saying, I've been hearing all about large language models and I was talking to my colleague uh, in another company and they're starting to use chatbots with, within their organization and using the power of that. Is that related to large language models, but fine tuning it to their own corporate data in their own servers, if you like? Am I sort of on the right track? Yes, that is a perfect use case. And thank you for bringing that up. You know, okay. centralization of data on your server. There's also red teaming, um, Graham, that's worth mentioning where you're testing your model or your system thoroughly. With the generative AI space, there's come to life a lot of different types of red teaming approaches, including prompt injection and many others, which is really around being able to test and mock the kinds of inputs that adversaries would provide to your model and figure out how the model is going to behave. What are its strengths and weaknesses, et cetera? Of course, the compute needed for that is another story. That's right. But in addition to that, there's also, again, the testing and validation approaches. So red teaming is really critical towards that validating how susceptible your model is to potential attacks, whether it's biased, et cetera. So lots of, lots of cool and interesting approaches coming up. But exactly as you noted, that's a key example. So going back on the ethics side of things, what are some of the arguments for a corporation, an organization to have a clear set of code of ethics and is Intel helping companies establish those sorts of guidelines and frameworks? There's a number of different best practices that organizations can incorporate today for responsible AI. One of them is the internal governance assessments that we talked about. 
which is a step-by-step process to checking where AI is used in your organization. How is it being shipped outside? What's your go-to-market strategy? What's your change management strategy, et cetera? So in terms of Intel's contributions, we're very excited and passionate about communication with customers and partners and communities in general around what exactly can we do to help with the ethical AI development. That can include, you know, potential compute platforms that help with running this type of solutions, pre-processing, post-processing. What exactly do you need towards that? Or if we have developers working with Intel OpenVINO, and I work in the OpenVINO team right now, we want to know what makes it easier for developers to be able to run these models and deploy them. Their feedback in terms of, you know, hey, you know, is this challenging to use? I don't know how this is working. Um, It's something that I do as part of my evangelism team is, again, helping contribute to that. So I would say that as part of the practices, there's a number of different things that we do today with solutions, with guardrails, with assessments. And at Intel, we're trying to help with the communication, the establishment of these elements, as well as the technical solutions and um, how we can help build foundations that our partners, customers, the community and industry can take from there. You mentioned that you're part of the Intel OpenVINO group. Perhaps you could spend a bit of time just explaining what that group does and what your role in it is. Sure. The Intel OpenVINO group is a team dedicated to helping provide capabilities and developing our OpenVINO toolkit. The toolkit is centered around computer vision related applications, and it's recently expanded over five years to generative AI. And it is really centered around taking models in many different frameworks like PyTorch, TensorFlow, Keras, etc., and converting and optimizing them to an intermediate representation format that you can deploy on different hardware, including Intel CPUs, GPUs, and other types of hardware. And have you seen any, I guess, impact on on innovation? To, to put it bluntly, does having a code of ethics put a break on innovation? And for individual engineers, does it leave them feeling, oh, maybe I shouldn't try these things? Is it a hindrance? The big question. <laughs> yes, right. I've encountered this question before, but my my answer um, to it is no, it is not. Because um, what, again, my personal opinion and what I've also seen at Intel and through my colleagues, mentors and in industry, academia and other circles, at the core of innovation is certain themes like improving quality of life, et cetera. And as part of that, human rights, responsible AI, adoption of technologies, and understanding why you're using technologies with awareness, those are all key attributes. So I would say if we're able to design the process in a way that's efficient, that is incorporating the minimum requirements and has the flexibility to grow with the technology, then we're doing it right. And it is not a hindrance. Time to go to market is a key item. However, responsible AI processes while they may take time, they don't necessarily have to hinder that goal if they're streamlined and done efficiently. The onus is on all of us to be able to contribute to that kind of strategy or development of that strategy. And in terms of the AI evolving over the next five years, you know, where do you see it going? Human-centered AI. That is my personal opinion on it. I've done a lot of research on it. I also had the opportunity to author a publication on it. Technology that's centered around the human experience that is contributing to the way that we think, that we act, and that we interact with others, I would say is the key thing. And for me, that's the most exciting applications, whether that's smart care robots for the elderly, using generative AI for healthcare applications, identifying new protein folding related techniques or something similar, but centered around the human experience experience, I would say. So human-centered AI is a good theme for that overarching journey. Yeah, the human-centered AI is a very interesting concept. And 
Have you seen any examples either in the startup community or within Intel or in the industry where you've given some examples, but is there any that are actually like kind of in production today? So we have some accessibility research that we've done with Intel. You know, Lama Nachman also leads the Human Computer Interaction Lab. And we see a lot of, I see a lot of great research coming out of that around accessibility, hearing related initiatives, etc. I would say that they're in the process of being researched right now, to my knowledge, across the industry of technologies that we can actively put in place. But there are blueprints in place for human-centered AI technologies. So it will be exciting to see how they evolve, how, you know, we take into consideration newer models like generative AI that, again, popularity just kind of popped up, but they've been around for a while. So we need to see how the technology adapts. But I think it will stay true to like the test of time um, in five years time. And then we will be able to see and interact with AI applications that are centered around our experiences, around nature, et cetera. How do you differentiate the two between the ethical AI and responsible AI? Um, Because in my mind, it's kind of a a little bit jumbled. Sure. I use the term actually in overlap, uh, just my personal bias towards the two. But I I have seen that there are differences. There's been multiple efforts to establish a nomenclature in the ethical AI domain. So responsible AI is seen more as the internal governance, the processes and practices that we put towards AI, whereas ethical AI is seen as really maybe kind of a a combination of the societal and technical aspects, as I shared earlier. So responsible AI, in a sense, is the accountability and responsibility part of it. Uh, I talked earlier about the future of AI. How is Intel going to be part of that wave in terms of its programs and solutions for customers? AI is a, a key inflection point for us. We're excited to ride the new wave, collaborate with our, again, partners, customers, communities, and um, see what we can do next. What's the next great big thing? Uh, Generative AI is definitely a key focus for us. It's what our customers want. It's what developers want. And it's what users want as well for their content creation and many, many other needs. So we're very focused on that. We're also incredibly focused on the compute. I see a lot of and get to work with a lot of wonderful engineers that are very passionate about solving these problems at hand, specifically these, um, because there's, you know, so much that you can do. A lot of problems in the LLM and generative AI space around, you know, large models, large footprint, changing outputs, not a lot of predictability, uh, challenging to benchmark, etc. So I think that Intel is working on and actively positioned to help our customers developers provide these types of optimizations, the right kind of compute, et cetera, for for the new wave of AI. But outside of generative AI, also, there's a lot of other AI applications that we're aware of, human-centered AI, et cetera, that we're also actively working on. So we're ready. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's good to hear. I've definitely learned quite a lot. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Graham. Appreciate it. I would like to thank my guest, Ria Chervu, for joining me today on this special episode of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. Ethics and artificial intelligence is so important right now. And what I've learned from today's discussion with Ria, having a code of ethics can be an important standard, especially when it comes to deep fakes. Companies in the media industry should have a rule about never impersonating someone without their knowledge. In my experience, I've been able to clone my own voice within a day, and it's a pretty good quality. For me, as an engineer and technologist, I think that's really interesting. However, it does throw up a lot of questions around ethics and whether we should do these things. 
The other thing Ria touched on is human-centered AI. And that's really interesting. From my perspective, I think technology has moved towards trying to be human-centered. And it's good to see that AI wave that is coming is still trying to keep humans as the center of any product and technology design. And talking with Ria really did hit home to me that it is artificial intelligence, but I am looking at the way that it can actually augment us. I think that it'll augment our jobs. I don't think on balance that it will take away jobs. You only have to look back in history from the printing press to the loom, the AI wave that we're going through now is just another evolution of us as a species. And I love discussion around the ethics and the philosophy of AI. I hope it will continue. And that's all for our first episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. Please join us on Tuesday, October 17th for the next episode, where we speak with experts on the way AI is innovating agribusiness solutions. You can follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter or X with the handle at Graham Class or check the show notes page for links. This has been Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. Technically Speaking was produced by Ruby Studios from iHeartRadio in partnership with Intel and hosted by me, Graham Class. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of post-production is James Foster. And our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton. This episode was edited by Ciara Spreen and written and produced by Tyree Rush. <laughs>